Hello, and welcome to the Intuitive Writing Podcast, a production of the Intuitive Writing Project, a writing-based empowerment program for girls and gender-expansive youth. We are dedicated to giving young women a safe, encouraging, non-critical, unconditionally supportive space to write their story, speak their truth, and assert their voice, both as writers and as leaders. My name is Elizabeth, and I created this program 11 years ago because it's what I wanted and needed when I was young, a supportive place to be truly seen and heard. That's why we use the Amherst Writing Method, a radically nurturing and empowering writing methodology I wish everyone had learned in grade school. You can read more about the Amherst Method on their website and in Pat Schneider's groundbreaking book, Writing Alone and with Others. But the basic principles and the ones that guide all our classes are that, number one, everyone is a writer with important stories to tell. Two, Everyone has their own unique voice, a voice that needs to be heard. And three, our voice will grow stronger and clearer the more it is supported and positively affirmed. The way that we do this is to repeat back and lift up words, lines, phrases, or concepts that really resonated for us. In our classes, everyone writes together, everyone shares their writing, and then everyone gives each other grounded, positive feedback. Since we can't violate the sanctity of our classes by recording what goes on there, these one-on-one -on -one conversations are designed to provide a little glimpse, a microcosm of what happens in the classroom. You can also read about our org and read the girls' words as they were published on our blog, The Intuitive Voice, with the links below. If you enjoy listening to one young reader read their words and talk about it, imagine how powerful it is when six young writers are reading their words and giving each other positive, affirming feedback. It's pretty life-changing, and there's a lot more I could say about it, but I'll let these writers speak for themselves. On behalf of all the writers at the Intuitive Writing Project, I want to thank you in advance for supporting the stories of young women. Making the time to be present and really listen to girls, listen to the wisdom, insight, and brilliance of each girl is how we change the world. Today, I am so excited and honored to be interviewing one of our longtime writers, Maya Petzold. Um, they are going to be reading an incredible piece, a uh, non creative nonfiction piece. And I want to start by having Maya introduce themselves. If you would give your name, your pronouns, your age, and maybe share a little anecdote about your first memory of writing. Hi, my name is Maya. I use she, her, and I'm 18 years old. And I would say my first memory of writing is I had recently learned about the wonderful thing known as tabs on Google Docs. And so I could make a grid for the first time ever. Uh, and I wrote a Marvel fan fiction story called Dimensional. Within the first two paragraphs, me and my friends are walking down a suburban speak. We get picked up by a, picked up by a portal. Uh, and then we are thrown into the Marvel dimension. And the entire story is me and my friends becoming the children of different Marvel characters while being thrown from dimension to dimension with absolutely no rest between. We're in the ventilation shafts of the helicarrier. Then we're on the Guardians of the Galaxy ship, which I forget the name of, and all that jazz. <laughs> that is my first story. <laughs> That's amazing. Did you finish it? 
God, no. I no. moved away. <laughs> you know what I mainly remember is that in one of, because I used the, the Google tabs to make grids for character sheets. Yeah. And I specifically remembered that I gave myself knitted arm warmers as a character thing. That was, I wanted to be like jazzy. I wore like jeans and a t-shirt and the knitted arm warmers. And I don't think I had a beanie, but I imagine I swept my hair in some direction in the story. I had a small, I, at the time I had a sort of bowl cut, but not bowl cut because it was colored, um, sort of thing going on. So I thought I, I looked incredibly butch. Awesome. <laughs> and do you still have it? Do you know if it's... No, it was on a different Google account that was attached to my school. Oh. Uh, I made my friend download a PDF of it, but I don't know where that is. Oh, maybe someday you can revisit it and update it. That's amazing. I never want to look on those words again. <laughs> they they are in the history of my mind around the same time that I used to dance around the house in a neon pink printed Jaguar shirt. That is where that memory sits beside <laughs> the things I'm not touching with a 40 foot pole. <laughs> fair enough fair enough okay well that is an amazing anecdote um you have been writing with the intuitive writing project how many years has it been now uh I think about four years uh, I've been doing since I came to California huh. my mom had just learned about my fan fiction because I shared an anecdote about it and then she looked around for writing creative writing opportunities in the area and she found it your mom is so smart it was yeah. good job. Good job. I'm going to foster this because it'll keep her entertained. <laughs> <laughs> and has it ever? You have a prolific. Um, I mean, I feel like we could have several books published of just your writing. So it's hard to only pick one piece. But today we're going to control ourselves. I'm going to control myself and just talk about one of your pieces. I would love for you to read your piece to give maturity words and it's so beautiful take your time and read it slowly fun fact about that one i didn't yeah. write the title i gave that uh fully to my teacher mm. i said i don't have a title for it and uh, she ran with that <laughs> that's awesome all right well whenever you're ready go ahead <clears throat> It has not been long since I have grown up. At the very least, it hasn't felt like it. I've only grown up. I've only, I've only grown centimeters in height, but I've bounded miles in maturity. And it's not the maturity of hormones or responsibility or even emotionally. It's the maturity in self-awareness. It's knowing that I have hormones and analyzing them and dealing with the consequences. It's learning about my responsibilities and addressing my failures to meet them and feeling proud when I fulfill them. It's the maturity of picking apart my emotions and feelings little by little, one by one, moment by moment, and hour by hour, and giving them words. It's giving them a voice in my mind to speak to their contentment, to feel. More often than not, this maturity I've recently grown into, as the last few years of having it has felt like a quick breeze that blew me over, but I barely felt in the moment, has come with two feelings. The feelings of melancholy and the feeling of utter belonging. The melancholy feels like the world is at a standstill, like the wind has stopped moving, the clouds have cleared, and the animals move because they feel about as unsettled as the scene truly is. The lack of wind becomes the straw that breaks the camel's back, the sky all too bright as it reflects off pavements, and squirrels running across roofs and bugs moving in bushes become sounds of pure torture. They grate on my ears and send shivers down my arms until I shake. The only thing left to do is to bury myself in some sort of silence so that my constant stream of unsettling thoughts drown out the agony that is the feeling of being miserable. The thoughts of morals, ethics, the future of humanity, my place behind a driving wheel, my place on a campus, and my place in my home, and I scream them in my head so I cannot hear the nothingness outside of it. 
because waking up from those thoughts to an empty room filled with only me and my cherished reminders of loving memories is not a comfort. My weighted blanket doesn't become a comfort to the torrent of feelings, simply an object. My pile of laundry isn't a distraction, it's a permanent feature. My silence is not a voluntary moment to breathe, it's a cage I don't know how to voice. Melancholy like this is solved only with a touch, only with a touch, a mother's hug, a friend's cuddle, a father's secret handshake. Melancholy feels like a rock is on a string tied around my heart, pulling it down and weighing it into my stomach. The sense of utter belonging feels like rain, though. It feels like watching the water run down the window of a car from the passenger seat. It feels like the sound of constant drops beating on the asphalt roof. It feels like the smell of wet concrete, gravel, and grass. It feels like the taste of contentment after a cool glass of water. It's the sense of belonging and reassurance and affirmation that I long for constantly. To give words to such a feeling is euphoria. It's the realization of a safe space, of a safe feeling I have in my life. It's the feeling of falling asleep with nothing burdening on the horizon, with nothing to do the next day. It's falling asleep having hugged your parents goodnight. It's falling asleep with a friend next to you. It's falling asleep after a long and hot shower. It's waking up and it takes hours before you leave your bed. It's waking up to the room being bathed in a soft orange glow and watching as it fades to blue. It's waking up with a plan you know you can accomplish with exciting and fun things to do and with people you're excited to see and to greet and activities to do. Belonging feels like weightlessness has taken over my bones and it sinks me into wherever I may be at the moment. To give these feelings words is like breathing on a mountaintop overlooking the ocean. The faint scent of salt is barely there, barely a thing you take note of, but the wind beats your face and reminds you why, in, why you enjoy simply being. The wind whips your hair in every direction and when you move your sunglasses away from your eyes, the bright tones of water, sun, and green don't assault them, only welcome them. You feel a humble smile split your face and it only feels right as you take a breath through your nose and mouth so you can feel the cold wind on your tongue and in your lungs. That is the feeling of maturity. It's not always going to be dark, sad, and depressing nights filled to the brim with insomnia, but it's not always going to be driving your own car to your own destination, buying your own groceries, or loving your own way. It's a mix of so many things I couldn't list them all at once, but it will bring bliss and tears and it will fill you until you overflow and let it all out over and over again. I think I have grown and become mature over the years, but I do love and hate it so much. It's a constant reminder of the inevitable and ominous future. It's a constant relief and clarity of thoughts that will follow you until your dying days. It has been my honor and my burden to be mature, but it is my favorite thing to do to give it words. Language is the most mature and complex concept I know, and it is my pleasure to use it. Mm. I don't do that. That is absolutely magnificent. It's almost impossible to just pick out a few lines that I like the best because every single line is incredible, but I'm going to try. <laughs> what was that? I'll give you my favorite, which is oh, language, is the, most language yeah. is the most complex concept I know. I have often attested to that. And I think it is one of the reasons I enjoy writing and it's why I enjoy reading. And I do, I do steps because figuring out the complexities behind little idiosyncrasies is the most fascinating thing to do. You're so right. I agree with you. I feel like when you can take, and that's what this piece does so brilliantly, is the writer takes the enormity of all that is really life, growing up, maturity, consciousness, self-awareness, and finds a way to articulate both the positive or both the joyful and the painful. 
so powerfully done. I love the line. Um, it's a maturity in self-awareness, which this whole piece is just like, you could also just call it self-awareness because it's absolutely that. And by the way, there are a lot of people who don't have self-awareness who are much older than this writer. So it's an amazing capacity to be, to feel everything and to recognize it and know how to articulate it. That's incredible. Um, so many powerful lines. I love that there was throughout the piece, the writer shifted um, the repetition of different words to make different points, like the repetition of maturity and then the repetition of it's them, it feels like, and the repetition of uh, it's waking up. There are just, there's a couple others as well. And it really, it's sort of like um, the words are a film camera. And you know how when you're watching a movie, you have to look at whatever the director has decided you have to look at. And that's what I felt like this was almost cinematic. And the writer was moving the camera with their words and having us look at different things. I don't know how you would film this, but it felt like it was cinematic. <laughs> um, I love the description of um, what is actually the paradox of feeling both melancholy, which is an incredible world word. Melancholy is an incredible word and not used enough. So I love that the writer used it a lot a in this piece. It's got a torrential history. Uh, torrid? I think that might be the word. Does it? What is its history? Oh, melancholy it comes from some of the old sort of ideas. Uh, it used to be considered a sickness, the feeling of melancholy, like a treatable disease of some sort. Did you know nostalgia was also considered a disease? Oh my God. No, I didn't. So quite a few things that were really just feeling so intense that they physically that they have physical reminders upon your body is sort of were categorized understandably as a disease but melancholy you could you could associate it with uh miasma and those things that were considered oh. in the old days of like those four things of phlegm which is a word oh, that I hate. that's right phlegm that was like the four humors phlegm yeah, that's what it was. the four humors that's right yes phlegm. yes yeah, phlegm is such a weird word and very hard to spell. <laughs> it's the main reason I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's so interesting about melancholy. It's, I mean, you can't, it's just like, like a whole story into itself because it's such a long word. But the combination of melancholy and utter belonging, I feel like this captures the paradox of all life, that it's both joy and pain. Um, the description of melancholy that feels like the world is at a standstill, like wind has stopped moving and the clouds have cleared. And then all these specific things like um, the sky all too bright as it reflects off pavements and squirrels running across roofs and bugs moving in bushes become sounds of pure torture. The specificity of all these things and how they're like grinding against the ears is so interesting. It's sort of, I think, one of the things that I think even my dad has attested to when I was uh, saying this to this earlier in preparation for this is that one of the things about writing that can sometimes make a good writing is just the ability to describe what you have around you. Because mm. my dad also, fun fact, tried to write fan fiction, Star Trek fan oh. fiction, <laughs> uh, when he was much younger. And he has those pages printed out somewhere in my grandmother's house. I will find them, I promise. But um, something he talked about is that he would describe things in the most, you can almost say, report-like way. And that can be a style if you want it to be. But if you're trying to write certain, if you're just trying to start off the bat and your first idea is like, I want to describe what this scene feels like to someone. You want to describe enough that someone could be there in it. Yeah. Is to describe every little detail of what you hear yeah. as like an exercise. You're walking down a street and it's like a war. 
It's like a dock or somewhere. You don't have to just describe it like, oh, there's the fishmongers buildings. Here's the pearl shop. Here's the thing. Maybe talk about the sort of like the conversations you can hear inside the pearl shop or like the sounds of fishes being gutted or something like that. So, and also just to take by what you would describe what you actually hear, because there are squirrels that run across my roof constantly. I swear they are dive bombing and attacking the rest of acorns. That's amazing. And then as they run across. No, and you really captured that and you're so right. Sensory details are the best. I think that's why this feels cinematic to me because there are these visual details that it's like, I can see it. The writer can see it because of the way you describe it. Even this list, which is such a relatable list, it's both personal and universally relatable. The thoughts of morals, ethics, the future of humanity, my place behind a driving wheel, my place on a campus, my place in my home. And I scream them in my head so I cannot hear the nothingness outside of it. Like, I love the, like the macrocosmic thoughts, like morals, ethics, and then like the, like the everyday thoughts. Like, kept me right. quite a few, like it helped, it somehow helped me go to sleep. I would text my friend at like 1230 AM, some form of existential crisis on the nature of humanity <laughs> and if, whether or not we are doomed or, or if the world is looking through the opposite of whatever rose colored glasses are yeah. and then like continuing going. And then I'd fall asleep and I'd wake up and I'd be like, man, a weird night, got to get to work. <laughs> weird night yeah yeah I also love speaking of um crises at nighttime that line my weighted blanket doesn't become a comfort to the torrent of feelings simply an object I've had that very exact I thought for some reason if I got a weighted blanket I'd sleep better and it does not override one's brain which one (laughs) I think are more sort of they are helpful when they become ubiquitous in that sense is sort Mm. of when they become the constant because I it's mainly for a way because I like the weight on me when I sleep of like quilts, but that gets way too hot. It's California. So yes. a weighted blanket solves that by giving me the weight I want without the heat. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's a good pitch for weighted blankets, actually. <laughs> yeah. That's what the um, podcast is for, right, Ad? <laughs> <laughs> Our, that's going to be our first sponsor, weighted blankets. Um, and then I love the line. Oh, I mean, I really relate to it, this, and I feel like the writer captures how this feels to feel melancholy in this line. Melancholy feels like a rock is tied on a string around your heart, pulling it down and weighing it to into my stomach. It's totally how it feels. Again, sensory details. The way I describe the string is because sometimes I think it does feel so tight as though there is a string and you're feeling it being wrapped and pulled on those points specifically and whether, and wherever you lay, it seems to follow down your spine somewhere mm. and it just weighs you there and I think because there's ways to di- like dive into feeling that optionally you can read very sad stories and you can go through and read stories that will apply to your sadness watch sad movies and all stuff and diving into those feelings can almost be pleasant in a sense feeling mm. that weight and being reminded that you do feel sad and it's okay to feel sad but un- but doing it without the choice to turn it off what is that time is the worst feeling in the world. Mm, no, that is true. That is true. I love, I think the reason I also love melancholy is just what you said. Sometimes it actually feels good to feel melancholy. It's just this heavy sadness that's weirdly calming. It's just like, you're like sinking down, down, down. I don't know. I, my, I love how you uh, just said that. My absolute icon, Red from Overly Sarcastic Productions, put this very well in their trope talk, which I suggest everybody watch if they want to be a writer. 
uh, it can help contextualize quite a lot of things you won't notice you do. And it makes you think about your writing. So it'll make you, and the more you think about your writing, the better you are become a writer. But they put it well in the Doomed Heroes story, in their trip talk on Doomed Heroes, is sort of that there's a catharsis in choosing to feel sad and choosing to become invested in a story and in choosing to go about. Mm. Like, why do you think people like Romeo and Juliet? That tells you in the very beginning, two, star, two star-crossed lovers take their lives. You know how horribly this is going to end. Right? <laughs> But it's that journey of going along with yeah. them. It's finding that story that's the enjoyable part. And so ah, I think that's that is brilliant. Okay, go back to that real quick. You said it's called Trope Talk. Who is it by? Uh-huh. By Talks. Overly Sarcastic Productions. And Overly Sarcastic Productions. If, if anybody ever joins a class with either me or soul in the intuitive Right project they will know we love overly sarcastic productions to hell and back <laughs> there are times where we if we were inspired by a specific myth video or history video my friend soul definitely took the history and i took the myth ones it's one of the reasons we became good, such good friends is we would talk after class about marvel and osp <laughs> uh generally i would highly suggest any of them because the way they choose to contextualize things and choose to take in a whole picture and dive very and dive deep down into the topics just being exposing yourself to that kind of thought and that sort of direction, a way of thinking influences your own in a sense. You can learn in a sense and it helps you go on forward and understand things with, uh, I'd say, a more open mind in some sense. Like a good example is that me and Soul went down thanks to also another group that I think if you like OSB, you'll less like these guys, but Sabaton, which are a historical rock group. Uh, and they have a song about Fritz Haber. And if you don't know who Fritz Haber is, he is the inventor of nitrogen-infused soil, which has basically allowed our food production to boom, to fit, to feed this thing. He is also the inventor of chemical weapons. Wow. And there's a very good, good line in the song about mass or morality alone. It's like, what are you doing? And after reviewing sort of how OSP went at history and how we wanted to approach history in our own writing, we realized the story doesn't have to be he is this, but he also did this. It's that he did this and this. People uh, are complex sort of beings. Yes. They're hard to get down on paper. They're hard to understand in hindsight with only the minimal records they leave. Because I will tell you, every as every anthropologist will tell you, people always leave less of a, less of a footprint than you want them to. Mm. And it's sort of understanding those concepts. I'm struggling for words at the end here that made me and soul better writers to attest the history oh my god i mean you have the intellect of somebody who's a thousand years old honestly which is why i think you're so good with history um i love what you just said that people are complex beings and that is what makes a great writer to understand that and this piece also coming back to the piece this piece captures the complexity of life that we can be both sad and grateful and angry and happy. Like all, we feel all things and we also, we're neither good nor evil. We're just a mix of all kinds of complicated, contradictory aspects. I will say this, that, that I have learned from my anthropology and probably what I wanted to put out there. I realized earlier when we had been prepping for this, I had said what I would want to put out there was Abraham Lincoln's quote that has helped me through many dark times and even good times and even helped me save our good times is that I think it's Abraham Lincoln's quote, this too shall pass. Mm. In some sense, this feeling shall someday pass. And maybe just having that little light on the end is what gave me the push to go through it. But more than that, I think it's what I've learned from anthropology and how that has helped me. Because if you don't know, I'm a college student and I'm taking anthropology classes. 
And what anthropology has taught me, and this is my own idea of it, is that the difference between a human and an animal is that a animal has behavior and a human has culture. Mm. And there's a difference between learned behavior and a culture. A monkey may learn how to play Scrabble or anything else because you can teach it that, but it's a behavior it's developed because of thing. The human's going to develop a culture around playing Scrabble every Friday night, specifically for no other reason other than to argue with their family members. So <laughs> is what they're going to get to over which Webster's dictionary they're going to use. Uh, and so I find that what has helped me understand that there can't always be a good and right and everything. There's not always going to be that satisfying, they were bad, they were good yeah. uh, sort of answer is that humans are complicated that are relative to culture and culture has changed and is relative to every individual person in that sense. That's There's, interesting. Right. And culture, I always think about the fact the word culture has cult in it. So there's a cultish cult aspect to how we're trained depending on the time we're I'll living I'll say in. this, the, cult, the word cult has gotten the some poor connotations over the area from the age of, I'm going to just call 70s. Uh, it's a Buick to say, it's not many learn about it, but either way, the 70s that attached quite a, 60s, 70s America attached quite a few cults that had some native repercussions, like some rape, some underage shit. A lot of, some stuff went down there that wasn't torture, things that weren't great that went down those cults. And that's made cults sound like a bad thing. Uh. In reality, it, really just meant spe- <laughs> it really just meant specialized worship. Like you oh. hear people refer to like the cult of Aphrodite and no one was going to say like, oh yeah, right. Pandemos of the people. And be like, all right, that, that's a cult. We can't worship Aphrodite anymore. Right, like, that's true. The cult of Aphrodite, that's right. It was originally a positive word. You're it right. Was, it was just a neutral world. It just meant like, it just meant this is a group of worship that's, it's, it's a subsect in a larger religion almost. Oh my God, you're so brilliant. I feel like I honestly could talk to you for 500 years and we'd never run out of things to talk about. <laughs> we, have to keep, we have to keep going. I once, had a, I once had a fantasy where I was, if you remember this episode of what, of West Wing, where uh, a guy didn't want to build a pass because he wanted more funding for like autism for like his autistic grandson. And yeah. he talked for like 12 hours on stage. And as long as he kept talking, no matter what he talked about, he went to like card rules. I was like, I could do that. Oh my God. Hours. I've got shite. <laughs> <laughs> that you, that would be one of your superpowers. You could totally do it. And it oh, would yeah. be my interesting. Dad is, my dad is ear, my, my dad's villain name is Earworm because he has, uh, like 15,000 songs he can put on at name them anything and I was chatterbox <laughs> <laughs> that is, is an amazing um you'd be good for a filibuster also right? bring you out and just talk and it would be super interesting I just need to record you walking around and talking all the time you're so interesting um okay so then going on on this piece I love the shift it goes from it's very gentle shift like rain falling from the melancholy to the belonging and it actually has that line the sense of utter belonging feels like rain yeah this is why it feels so visual um it feels like the smell of wet concrete gravel and grass the contentment after a cool glass of water it's the realization of safe space a safe feeling i have in my life and i really love this line this is the best feeling falling asleep with nothing burdening on the horizon with nothing to do the next day oh it is, I, sorry go ahead 
it is just real life things that help me. I attach my because I've I've moved around a lot because of my dad's job. And so I attach myself to certain things. And what was always a constant until I got here of all places was rain. And so constant feeling that I could sort of attest to. Rain used to like lull me to sleep because I lived in like Washington State for a while and stuff like that. And falling asleep, especially to rain, was like one of the most relaxing points of my day at any time. Mm. Mm. I've learned from the many existential crises I've had before I fall asleep that imagine you've it's the weekend, you it's a Friday, you've done any homework you might need you you might need before you go before the weekend, so you have a free weekend ahead of you. It's like the middle semester. There's no big projects due. Midterms midterms are at least three weeks off nothing else is about to happen and you fall asleep and you wake up the next day and you're like I don't even have to get out of fucking bed there's nothing it's the best feeling well then you you wrote this it's waking up and it takes hours before you leave your bed I love the description of the room being bathed in a soft orange glow watching as it fades my mom and her friends once made a joke about that I remember mm. I came downstairs once. It was eleven fifty-eight, and and and, my, and then like my mom's friend came over. He's like, "Wait, what time is it? What time is it? What time did you come downstairs?" And I was like, "Eleven like fifty-eight, because I check I check my clock very regularly on my phone." And he was like, "Damn it!" <laughs> and then he turned to my mom, and she was like, "Ha!" Because they apparently bet if I would come down before twelve or not. They had a bet. <laughs> Your dad just made it with two minutes to spare. That's so yeah, funny. <laughs> that's exactly what I do. Anytime I have a spare, I have I have a day with nothing on the end. I'm like, I can sleep forever. I wake up and I'm like, I don't have anything else to do. I don't even need to sleep. And then I roll over and I'm like, here I come again. <laughs> here I come again. Yeah, this piece feels so alive with um, like this line about the wind beats your face and reminds you why you enjoy simply being. There's so many, it's not just like the observed phys- sensory visual details, but it's the feeling, the weightlessness is taken over your bones. Um, like breathing in a mountaintop. That's incredible. Those are describing two very like things that I felt here because I wanted to sort of tie it back, not just also to, because this in California, mainly thanks to my therapist, is where I realized what my maturity sort of meant. And it, it wasn't going to fix all my problems. It wasn't going to make me suddenly be able to handle insults to my face better. But you know what? It was there. <laughs> but two things that I, two like memories that I have very strong with my time here in California is one, crossing the Golden Gate Bridge to Sausalito mm. side. And you come out of that, that little drive point where it lets you look over the bridge and all that mm. stuff and standing there. And I remember I took off my sunglasses and I was surprised because my eyes are usually somewhat sensitive to the light that I took it off and I wasn't blinded. The water was still shining. It was still sunlight, the green, the breeze, everything was there, but it didn't like hurt me to look out and take in all the colors. Cause that's what I, I love sunglasses mm. for how they help my eyes. But at the same time, it tones down some of the vibrancy that I miss when I have to go on drives. And then the other time is when we drove to the top of Mount Diablo and we looked mm. out over there and it was like the same feeling, but it was that, it was that chillness and the wind from either sea air or the mount or the high al- altitude. And it was just, it, it made me realize why I enjoy simply being again. Like why mm. I, it's not that I've ever not wanted to live, but sometimes I have to be like, man, this is freaking work. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess 
and the, but just standing on top of Mount Diablo or being on the other side of the Golden Gate Bridge and just letting it happen. I was like, this is why, <laughs> why I'm here. <laughs> That's so brilliant. And that is such a profound insight that, yeah, a lot of the time, they don't tell you this in grade school, that a lot of your adult life is going to be work, just like grinding through things. But then there are these moments, which is what you've captured so beautifully. And based on what you just said, I feel like the writer is really good at collecting feelings, which they summon back and reassemble. Oh, I wrote another stories. piece. I wrote another piece like it where I was just trying to tread through what my earliest memories are because I got very inspired by a distractible, uh, uh, another podcast, a distractible thing where they went over what was their first earliest memories. I was like, what is my first earliest memory? And as far as I know, I think my first earliest memory is the feeling of wet grass between my toes. It's not like actually like a memory memory or anything like that. I think it's just a feeling that I have. And I can find pictures of that day because I was like, I was very much remembered. It was like cold, dewy morning. And my mom has pictures of it, of me like walking around in my diaper out in the backyard and having (laughs) blonde enough to blind the fucking sun. Those are my earliest memories. My earliest memories often come from just one sense, like the sound of stuff working at my grandmother's milk mm. farm, the sight of her garden, mm. the feeling of hugs from different people and sort of thing like that. My earliest memories, they come, mm. the smell of, um, what was that? Of malasadas. That is what I have because I grew up in Hawaii for a lot of my younger years and there's at the Punahou Fair, there'll be malasadas and there's like, there's always a long time. And I think one of my earliest memories is the smell of those. Oh, and it sounds like you have vivid sensory me- memories really exceptional that's also like a tip if you wanted to like start trying writing try writing down a memory Mm. I think it's it's something that my bumpa uh or my grandfather on my mother's side casually did uh is that he would write down things he wrote me once like a poem about different cakes for his for my birthday uh but uh, stuff like that like it or might not have been my birthday I just have a poem from him about different cakes I forgot uh I forgot I forgot I have it but at the same time he like he has a, a slight autobiography that he wrote himself that is just writing down his memories and what do you remember them? And I loved like the tiny little anecdotes in it of just like, I had a milkshake. It was great. <laughs> oh, I love that. He's like, I'm right. intolerant. I am having these the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. And that's the thing is that every memory is a story. And if you don't write it down, people won't know what's in your memories. It's so beautiful to have yeah. it on paper. Um, Okay, so that brings us to the last part of the piece, which is the most moving. Um, It's this very mature, very advanced, again, many adults don't even have this level of self-awareness, that life is both joy and pain. Um, It will bring tears, to quote the writer, um, it will bring bliss and tears and it will fill you until you overflow and let it all out over and over. And then I love how the writer says, I love and hate it so much because it is, it's all things. It's both. It's everything. And you captured that. Um, And then, of course, the fear of the future, the inevitable and ominous future, which we all are haunted by because humans can think of the future, unlike animals. Um, But my favorite line, and I want you to read it again, it's just the last two lines. If you would uh, read, it has been... It has been my honor and my burden to be mature, but it is my favorite thing to do to give it words. Language is the most mature and complex concept I know, and it is my pleasure to use it. And I think Mm. something, again, that OSP helped me with was just kind of tracking 
the different uh, ways that language has come together over the years. Mm. And so I think like that maturity, it's, it has a depth to it that is built upon your years and years of experience mm. as you go forward. Um, it is quite literally the most complex thing you know like it's like it's like trying to watch christianity branch apart into a multiple things but in reverse to make english right <laughs> of everything of everything just um branching together to make all those things and that's kind of what makes it beautiful because i could trace back uh the origin of the word glamour to an icelandic saga i oh. could trace back the word nostalgia to the greek term for homecoming I could, and there's so many other little idiosyncrasies with it. And you can trace back parts of what made you mature to bits in your life. Like, what did that change? I think I, what helped in my maturity is my journey to realizing that I was aromantic asexual to the death of my bumpa and how, and how that affected my family and me in reversal to talks with, to different talks I've had with my dads and uncles about how, what their experiences in the military and how that's put things in perspective. I can trace my and my maturity back to those things. And I can also trace back to when I was really immature. I once stood between two vending machines and stared out because I had an argument with my friend at a party and I just stared at people and laughed when they jerked back in fear because you don't expect to look between two vending machines and then just see like cotton candy head in a freaking plaid shirt staring at you wait you slipped between you were standing between two vending machines yes were... there was two vending it was like the fall party in like middle school or something and i had, had an argument with my friend and i nearly convinced all my friends to essentially dump her as a friend uh i i, I undid that work when one of my other friends said hey dick move and i was like probably and like went back <laughs> Uh, but either way, I, for the majority of that dance, I kind of sulked because it was it was just a cafeteria. It wasn't like I could go anywhere to be silent until I found <laughs> like the crack between the two vending machines. And so I sulked between them and slowly got joy because people, they kind of casually look between it just because be, usually they're like, damn, it's going to be dirty and there isn't. But then there's a kid staring at you. That is such a funny image and such a creative choice, even though... <laughs> a little diabolical but very creative oh yeah i remember the worst part was when someone had ordered something already and it was like falling down and they looked over and they couldn't like just walk away because <laughs> they had to wait for their stuff and they were kind of like and a couple times then one of them they kind of walked away they came back and were like you good i'm like yeah i remember the worst part was when one of the one on the one side of me started shaking and i like looked at it and then i got out and they were like trying to push the two together they didn't know i was in there oh, they were no. just like these two could work together we had the time to move it i was like hey they're like <laughs> they're like jump back they're like oh my god what well, to your point i think we were trying to say is that everything that's and this is true for everyone everything that happens to us evolves us and matures us including your experience of getting between the two vending machines that was part of your growth yeah you, you learned from that it made you who you are today <laughs> <laughs> that's what my new book cover is gonna look like it's to, about common sense it's gonna be me glowering in my in my uh i believe it was seventh grade outfit uh staring between two vending machines well it's kind of because the, the lights were like put down low also as well just staring out there glitter cotton candy hair warm tones <laughs> kind of look like a lumberjack like it's a whole thing <laughs> that's amazing that's a total look that you should keep that alive. Um, okay, so now I wanted to get your advice to other writers about 
what do you do when, I mean, you're so eloquent and prolific. I, I can't even imagine that you ever don't have something to write about, but I'm sure while you're writing, sometimes you get stuck. How do you get unstuck? And what advice would you give to other writers? Uh, for starters, never put yourself on a deadline. Don't mm -hmm. like force yourself to have a timeline. That's because that's going to do the opposite. Your brain's going to be obstinate and basically just say, fuck you, not today. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and other stuff like that. So I would definitely say, um, I also, don't put yourself on a deadline. I don't give you some advice my mom gave me, which is don't, if you have a scene in mind that you really want to write, but your head's saying, I got to write the intro to this first, throw that voice out the window, defenestrate it. Like you got to just write that scene that you want to, whatever you want to, you can reshuffle later. You can go back later. None of this is, it's not like set in stone the moment you type it. If I did, it would be a weird, if I did that with my writing, it would be a weird massive sort of red underlined words because I spelled it with an extra B. <laughs> you can go back and you can change things and you can write different parts of your stories at different times and you can go back. You can do so much. It's it's flexible. It's like community college. Mm. It's up to you. Mm. It's, it's your journey in writing this. And I would definitely say as well is um, find sort of a voice you want to write in. I would say, like for a while, I did John Mulaney's voice. Uh, for a while, just writing stuff like that, like I kind of found that sort of stuff. I then, for a couple other times, I would. My mother used to read to me quite a bit, uh, and as well, and I and that was a very calming voice because she read like Little House on the Prairie to me. Oh, so I would, and that's where that's when I started moving to more like serious sort of serious stories like that and then my father would read to me co Tintin comics which are oh. French comics about an English or maybe it's a French detective I don't know I think he's English but it's it's a French comic it's a weird thing but anyway, <laughs> comics, and he would do the different voices for that and that allowed me to start doing my characters in voices which allowed me to do more characters in one story like find familiar voices that you enjoy listening oh. to that you enjoy hearing tell a story yeah. and write in that voice for a while and eventually you're gonna start making up your own voices like I for some reason do I've made up my own version of the like uh Wanda and Pietro Maximoff from the MCU's accent I made that my own I made an uh, and I like combine it with Yelena Belova's accent in the films and I like oh my made God. my own accent for what I what I want what I want to write like creepy shit okay <laughs> I love that what is your okay just briefly describe the beginning creative process from when you get an idea, how do you, like, do you get ideas before you start writing? When do you most get ideas? And then what is the process of starting to get it onto the page? I generally get inspired by random things throughout the day or random thoughts I have. So I'd say a good example is that it was just like a Christmas present for me uh, that someone had got me a book on Norse, uh, not mythology, but folkloric creatures, like uh -huh. a huldra, which is, I've, I've added a weird rolling R to that, huldra. <laughs> I was like, I was like, huldra, I learned French, give me the rolling R's, but a huldra, uh, or a holder if you wanted to go male for it. Uh, and I was like, I can write a story about that. Uh, or like this, there's like this massive, like whale sort of sea serpent creature that crawls out of the water. 
and other things like that or like this grim lady who hides in mines and it was just supposed to be like a little folkloric thing because like I was really into mythology and stuff like that but that book became my inspiration and then I mm. delved into this weird story where I made like a centuries old thing and I included this Russian guy that I learned about like random years ago uh that like Koshche and other things like that and then I took inspiration also something never be afraid to take inspiration from already living media mm. it doesn't it's don't rip it off but like don't be afraid to completely just take fuel inspiration. If you ever watch Hitalia, I imagined Prussia, the country character Prussia, as like a ghost coming into the story and stuff like that. He'd like died in the Battle of the Ice of the 1812, also taken from a Hitalia episode. And I like molded this all together to make a story over time. And then I, when I had like a pretty cool, like couple scenes in my head, I started blotting it down in um, like bullet points. On a, t on a thing and occasionally I would go on now what the way I do my creative process is I have an idea that's inspired for some random thing like for common now a history episode or something souls told me my friend I will then write down in bullet points sort of the mm. ideas for that story where it goes and then I go under each bullet point I don't like write mm. it in order yet. I go under the bullet point mm -hmm. whatever that bullet point has in mm -hmm. longer form terms and then I will paste it all together and then go through rereading it and resetting it and maybe changing a couple things and then I have soul make sure I did my grammar correctly uh, like that, I can't, they are impressed with my ability to switch tenses between sentences um <laughs> that's amazing so you do actually map your stories out in advance you have kind of a, a general structure I didn't you always it wasn't the first thing I did I kind of okay. I used to just sort of run with it, an idea and I and I kept like the mapping out within my head I had like maybe an idea of two steps ahead yeah but now because I'm incredibly fond of the idea of foreshadowing and reiteration I, I like to uh, map it all out so I can revisit older things that I said earlier. Right. Then you can be the omniscient narrator. You know things that we don't know. I love that. Yes. Instead of being surprised that. by my own story, I was like, oh, my <laughs> dice? Jesus. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I feel like I just want to say, world. This is Maya. You're going to be hearing from her a lot more in the future. I feel like you're going to be very famous in the years to come. And I'm really excited that we managed to book you on our tiny my little podcast. Is, um, <laughs> my goal is to say something on a show that's well known enough to become somewhat of a meme. Oh, please. Would you like to say something to start your own meme? You're welcome to it. No, I my, I have a visual. Once I become famous enough, and my face is actually out there. Gosh, this I sound. I know how I. You know how I said I like had a humble smile come over my face. <laughs> I, think, I think like I'm doing the opposite. Of that. When I'm famous, well, I oh, set you. God, I, I set you want, up. I set you up. It's my fault. But, yeah, but um, the, I have very funny pictures because during the pandemic I was in a foods class, huh. so we had to like do cooking at home and stuff like that. And the way that we had to do that was take pictures of our food or record it. And there's some screenshots of me where I slowly go more and more confused and concerned <laughs> from like, because of what was happening in the cooking thing. And I have those and I texted them in a funny bubble. And so there's like a meme format now that I will someday release to the internet where I just get slightly more concerned and confused where I'm just like, Oh, just That's overall. And it's great. funny because it's also m what me and my dad called prison haircuts during the uh, during the pandemic. Could go to a hairdresser. So we went outside on the patio on the lanai and I had a buzz cut, like short nice. ass. If, if any of you know Tintin comics, I looked like Tintin. I <laughs> <laughs> it's grown out so fast, though. It's amazing how yeah. it's so long. Okay, so I do, even whether or not it becomes a meme. I feel like I want to give you a chance to give like one line of advice or wisdom to the world 
for now. I mean, you're going to continue to illuminate us with your wisdom. And I can't read, wait to read all of your many, 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 many books that are going to come out. But um, one little bit of wisdom for us. Uh, I will reiterate the earlier one. Uh, this too shall pass. And mm. that doesn't mean you don't have to do work to get out of something. It doesn't mean you don't have to work to get over like a relationship or work to make the world a better place. But know that this too shall pass. It's not going to always be like this, whether because you work to get out of it or because literally it cannot rain forever. There, there will be some break in it and there's going to be some joy and let yourself feel those in the moment. Savor, because even joy won't last forever. Savor that bit and know that sadness mm -hmm. isn't going to be forever. That's beautiful. Actually, it can not rain it's forever. So and verbose than everything I've just said. No, that was so lovely. You're amazing. You are so brilliant and so interesting. Maya, thank you for your time and your brilliance and for reading your words and sharing your thoughts. It has been truly an honor and a joy to have this conversation. Uh, and I am super happy to be here. If I always want to be on a podcast, this is like a dream come true. Please keep in as many tangents as you possibly can. <laughs> yes. And don't forget, calling out the editor is a way of breaking the fourth wall. And it's and it's, its own sort of... Um, oh, topic. that's great. That's great. This is going to be a long podcast. It's great. Yeah, it's going to be a bit of an episode. <laughs>